You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. I've just been re- reminded we didn't send the kids out, so if you um, <laughs> got activities for the kids, if you'd like to go out to those, they'd be most welcome. Great. Hopefully we've got a Bible here. I'm going to be looking at Jonah and chapter 2. Uh, if you missed it two weeks ago, I did chapter 1, just to give you a quick background. Basically, this is a... It's a a funny prophetic book. It's one of the 12 minor prophets, as it's called in the Old Testament, because this one doesn't record what the guy was saying. It really records his life. And what happened in chapter 1 is we learn this thing, is God loves the nations, but don't be like Jonah. Jonah is an example of how not to behave. Jonah is told to go to Nineveh, but he decides he doesn't want to do that. Nineveh is basically 500 miles that way across the land, so he decides to get in a boat, go to Joppa, about 1,000 miles this way across the sea. Obviously, you cannot run away from God. And so what happens is God sends this massive, great storm. They try and row to safety, but they realize they can't. They discover that Jonah is the problem for the storm. So the sailors say to him, what are we going to do? And they say, he says, just chuck me overboard. And so therefore, they pick him up and they throw him overboard. And we're going to read. It's meant to be chapter 2, but I'm going to read verse 17 from chapter 1. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And then we go into chapter two. I'm going to read the whole of chapter two. Jonah's prayer. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet will I look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Father, some of us have heard this story many times. For some of us, that video clip, it was a whole new introduction. We don't even know the story of Jonah. I pray that for each one of us, that we'll hear your voice this morning. As we've come and sung to you our praise, we felt like we've heard you speak to us. We believe this is your word. I pray that you'd speak right into our hearts. I pray that our hearts don't reject it, but we listen to this and this word bears fruit in us. For your glory. Amen. 
I, I, I love these stories in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll be aware I preached four weeks on Ruth earlier on this term, now four on Jonah. I just think when you start getting into these, there's such wonderful characters and there's so many things that we could learn. I mean, the fact that I love about Jonah is, I mean, I don't know if he's like you, he's like me. God tells him to do something, he just decides to disobey. <laughs> you know, God told him to go and do something. It wasn't an easy thing. So in Jonah's defense, I was reading about that this week. Some of you will know your Bible. You know there was another prophet at the same time. And the other prophet was called Amos. And Amos was speaking to the nation of Israel and saying, you guys have been really bad. And because you've been so naughty, God is going to send a judge to you. And it's not someone who wears a wig. It's a nation. And they will come and attack you. And that nation is Assyria. Come on, turn back to God. You're being bad. This nation's going to come and beat you. And Jonah, at the same time, is sent to Nineveh. Well, Nineveh was one of the chief cities of Assyria. And the message from God to Jonah is, go and tell this people, I love them. And I, I've seen that they're bad and they need to turn to me. You see, and he just suddenly thought, I just can't understand how this is all going on. And so he decides, I'm just going to run. I want to ask you the question. Before we look at this chapter, are you running from God? If you're really honest, are you running from God? You know that God has told you to do something. Start tithing. Get baptized. Invite a friend to the cow's house. You know that God has told you, stop smoking. Stop looking at porn. You know that God has told you, stop flirting in the office. But instead of running towards God, you've run away from God. You know that God has told you, forgive that person. Let it go. Surrender it to me. But instead, we choose to run away. What happens, you see, is that Jonah decides to run away. He's chased by God, ends up in a storm, which was only calmed when the sailors, with his permission, threw him overboard. Jonah expected to die. If the story is progressing, chapter 1, that could have been it all over. But it wasn't. Why wasn't over? Because, and we hear this so many times in the Bible, it says in verse 17, I haven't even got to chapter 2 yet, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. I, I want to say, and I'm not going to go long on this, you can prod me about it afterwards, I genuinely believe it was a large fish. You know, I don't think this was allegorical. Sometimes you can think, oh, Pete, we're in the 21st century. Are you really going to tell me that a man was swallowed by a fish? Some people struggle with this. In fact, I was reading one commentary this week, you know, and they're trying to work out what kind of size fish you'd need and how big it would be and where you'd live. And has it ever happened? Well, it has happened once, but you only survived a couple of hours. And how could it be three days? In fact, one commentator even suggested that Jonah got rather down. And so what he did was he stayed in a tavern called the fish. <laughs> he stayed there for three days, and that was his idea. And it's almost like, oh, God, okay, I'll go and do what you're saying now, Lord. No, I don't believe that. I genuinely believe that this was a physical thing. Why do I say that? Because Jesus quoted it as if it was. And if Jesus believed it, it's good enough for me. And the second thing is, God does the miraculous. And if I've always got to rationalize what God does, I really reduce the size of my God. And so I would encourage us, wow. This has really happened. God has done something amazing. What I find amazing is this. God's ways are not our ways, but they're still incredible. 
I was thinking about this, you know, if, if I was Jonah and I was just about to be thrown over there, and you might be thinking, oh God, would you please help me? What would have been great right now is to be able to walk on water. I mean, we know he does it later on. Why couldn't he have done it in the Old Testament? What would have been great is if the whole sea suddenly turned to concrete. Oh, it would have been a bit of a bump, but he could have got up and walked on dr- off to dry land. Or what might have been great is if suddenly he lands in the, the sea and he's given the gift of Michael Phelps. You know what I'm saying? This is some Olympic swimmer. Okay, Jonah, away you go. You know what I'm saying? He's suddenly got... But it's not like that. And I think sometimes that's our problem because we want God to provide our way. And what we say is, God, if you provide this way, I could trust you. God doesn't take him from the circumstance. He protects him in the circumstance. And I think we've got to remember that. Our God provides. But it's not always the way that we want He provides a great fish. This week, I did a murder mystery walk in London. I don't know if you've ever heard about these things. I was given it as a Christmas present last Christmas. I suddenly think I'm going to see Nicky's aunt probably in a month's time, so I thought I'd better go and enjoy the present who gave it to me. And basically, you get all these clues, and I started in uh, Notting Hill, and you go around Portobello, and you have to find all these clues, and then you can work out who did the murder. I would tell you, but obviously you may want to do it, so I won't. It was great. It was great just to look at the detail, because sometimes you suddenly think, I've never seen that before. And I feel that even with this. And I want to be careful that I don't bore you, but it says the Lord provided a great fish. Actually, in the Hebrew, the fish there is male, and yet the the fish mentioned in the beginning of chapter 2 is female. So I think, oh, what is this? Well, actually, they reckon that the detail of this was such that when he was first used, the fish was to do with death. And it's almost like Jonah was being swallowed by a tomb. But actually, when you start looking, and I won't go into too much details because I know Anna's here, the word distress used in the beginning of chapter 2 was the word for childbirth and pain and popping and all those kind of things that we don't talk about in church. And actually, it wasn't meant to be this fish, which was a tomb, but it was meant to be a womb. And actually, even when it talked about being in the grave of Sheol, it was in the womb of Sheol. And so what I feel sometimes here, and I hope this is a word of encouragement, is that sometimes when you go through a tough place, you think it's a place of death, but actually God can turn it into a place of life. You just think, man alive, this, 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 is, this is tough. But actually, God would say, actually, it would be a place that can birth and bring life. I don't want to knock what you're going through, but this was a great fish. If you had to think of one word that is often used by the author of Jonah, it is great. He talks about a great storm, a great city, a great wind, great fear, and a great fish. But you know what? Who's in charge of everything that's great? The greater God. And that would be the thing that I would want to take out of just verse 17 before I've even got into this. Oh, golly, this is great and this is great. But actually, the one who's in charge of it all is this greater God that we serve. So that is my sort of tee up to how we now get to chapter 2, which is really what we're meant to be looking at. Some of you think, oh, God, you've spoken to me already. You're just going to zone out and enjoy him. That's fine. I won't take it personally. Chapter 2, 8 verses, is a different kind of 
the theological word is genre, to the other chapters. What does this mean? That the way that it is written for these verses is more like poetry. So it's a bit like um, the rest of it is a history book, or it could be factual, whereas this is actually much more emotive. How could I describe it? I guess the rest of the book is a bit like a phone bill. That's probably not a nice thing, but there's just details and information. And this is a bit more like a love song. There's heart, there's emotion. So when you read it, you'd notice in most of the verses, and this was Hebrew poetry, they sort of repeat the first thing a second time. And it's not like they can't think of something else to say. They're just trying to get you into the feeling and the heart of it. The other thing I think is really worth noting about this which again, I think people struggle with, but this is the unerring word of God. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed. From inside. You see, a Christian's theology is this. God is in charge of everything. Tough times are not punishment, they're preparation. And I think so often what happens is as a Christian, we can feel like, oh, golly, I thought if I followed you, everything would be easy. And then things start going tough, and we think, oh, golly, where's God in this? But actually, Jonah models something. Actually, he's worthy of it wherever we are. So often we can think, oh, God, if you really love me, surely this wouldn't happen. Actually, the author to the Hebrew says this, doesn't it? God disciplines those he loves. So I would like you now, if you think, God, I'm going through a tough time, see it as a badge of God loves me. When I became a Christian, I mean, it's <clears throat> aging me now. It was in the 70s. We used to get nice stickers that would go on your Bible. You know, we'd have a lovely sticker like, God loves you. And you'd stick it on your Bible and you think, oh, great. What we really should have put is, you know, God's sending me through a tough time. <laughs> Why? Because those he loves, it actually says that's the way he, he deals with his sons and his daughters. Okay then, I've got three points that I just want to bring out of Jonah's prayer of this whole thing. The first thing is this. <laughs> I know it seems so obvious really. Jonah sinks. Jonah sinks. Jonah is a very selfish guy. I've had the time this week to count this and some of you will just trust me on it. He uses the word I ten times and he uses the word my seven times. 17 references to himself in, what, eight verses. When he should have been looking up to God or looking out elsewhere, he's looking in at himself. Now, I think this is hugely relevant for us in this day and age. And you can say, how can you say that, Pete? I mean, it's almost 3,000 years ago. You told me that. I don't know if you saw, there was an article this week of a new word. Is it the Oxford Dictionary? What was the new word for 2013? A... A selfie. If you're not sure what a selfie is, is when you get your phone out, you take a little picture, and it's here's me, and I'm there. It's selfies. Now the thing, even the Pope had a picture, you know, with some young people, this sort of selfie, and it's like everybody's now into selfies. I think the danger is that we get so wrapped up in ourselves because we've lived in a society that talks about an entitlement. It talks about our rights, but it doesn't talk about our responsibility. And so therefore, I think there's a danger that we get caught up in ourself, which could lead us to sink. Jonah sinks, and he sinks in this raging sea. Now, you, you, we've got to take this. This is poetry, remember? We've got to take this in the light of Scripture. Sea was often seen as a place of chaos 
and something that would oppose God. I haven't got time to go into it now, but there was even like a sort of sea monster that's referred to in Psalms. It's almost like this chaotic, out of control. So when Moses is led by God to come out of the promised land, what blocks the way? It's the chaos of the sea. And that's why they sung so much when the sea parted, because it's, our God is greater. Often the sea was seen as something that was, was stormy and difficult and emotive. And that's the kind of time that Jonah is sinking. I don't know about you, I was always sort of raised with that thing, you know, trying to keep your head above water. Let's be really honest, some of us even sat in the room today, you think, I've not kept my head above water, I'm trying to grow gills. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn how to breathe underneath the water. Jonah is sinking. Even in the midst of sinking, he knows that God is sovereign. Are you aware that God is in control? I mean, as I'm reading this, don't forget it's poetry, it's a song. It says, you hold me into the deep. Now, as a factual kind of guy, I think, hang on, I just read the last chapter. God didn't hurl him in. Who hurled him in? Who threw him over? The sailors. Why did they throw him over? Because he says, I'm guilty. And the only way it's going to calm down, so I say, well, it's either their fault or it's your fault. What does he say? He says, no, God is in control. God is in control of my life. I believe that God is in control of our destinies. But Jonah is sinking. Jonah is sinking towards a place called Sheol. Sheol was literally considered a place of death. So in these times, they used to believe in a sort of three-tiered universe. And they used to believe that actually there was heaven that was up here, there was earth that was here, and it's almost like underneath the earth was the place of death. And this is where the wicked were kept until they were taken for judgment. It was considered a hopeless situation. You can even pick up the words there. It's like the bars of death. It's like the prison of death. It's like death is holding me. You know, and it's almost like that they thought at the time it was the one place in the whole universe where God could not be worshipped because this was down in death. And what he feels is, golly, I'm going down here and these cords of death are getting to me. I don't want to overplay that, but some have even talked about in the old days, they used to think it was a three-day journey to the underworld. Obviously, that's why they thought it was so amazing when Lazarus was raised from the dead, because it was four days after he died, and yet Jesus came and raised him. And you think, hang on, he would have done his journey. So suddenly there's this, oh no, I've gone to death. But what was death for him? It would have been separation from God. A hopeless situation. It reminds me so often of David. If you know the story of King David, I mean, he's a guy who had so much. God took him from a shepherd boy to rule in the nation. He basically is he's lazy. He's at home one day. He sat around at the palace. He looks over his neighbors, sees his neighbor's wife bathing. You know, let's not dwell on that thought too long, guys. But you know what I'm saying? He then decides to have her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, sends her back, tries to get the husband to cover up, doesn't, kills the husband, takes her as his wife. God says, you're being judged. And what does he say in Psalm 51? Don't take your presence from me. He realized that the furthest place he could go, the the lowest place he could go, oh, surely that would be horrendous. When God got fed up with the Israelites as they were traveling around the desert, and he said to Moses, I'm just done with you guys. You go. Moses said, no, if you don't go, we won't leave this place. I genuinely believe that 
When we gather, God is here. This is a low moment, though, for Jonah. I don't know if you remember last, uh, the time I spoke, it was two weeks ago, wasn't it? On that the whole thing of God called him to go up to Nineveh, but what happened to him? He went down. He went his own way. He went down to Joppa. He went down below the deck. He goes down into the deep and is now down at the roots of the mountain. I don't want to go too long on that, but they reckon this three-tier world, what happened was the, the, the roots of the mountain were right on shield and that the earth was sort of floating on the mountains. So to go down, this was as low as he could go. There was nowhere lower to go. That is what basically this picture is. He's gone as low as he can go before he came to his senses. That reminds me of the parable that Jesus taught. The prodigal son. You know, father loves him, turns his back on the father, takes his inheritance, goes off to a foreign land, spends spends it on prostitutes, has parties, has all this wild time, it all goes belly up. As a Jew, he ends up feeding pigs. Not only that, he thinks, I'd like to eat their food. I, I never understand that. I worried he didn't eat the pig, but that's another thing. You know what I'm saying? You think, golly, I'm desperate for this. Until he comes to his senses. And when he comes to his senses, what does he think? I'll go back to my father. I want to ask you the question. Are you sinking? And have you got so low that you come to your senses? I've got to turn to God. Sometimes we're really honest. We still think we get away with doing it our own way, don't we? I know I'm in trouble. Oh, we're going to turn to him. You see, this is where I feel that there's some encouragement out of the book of Jonah. It says here that Jonah prayed. Jonah speaks to God. The chapter before, the captain of the ship had said to them, come on, I want you all to pray to your gods because we're in trouble. It doesn't even tell us in chapter one whether or not he prayed. Although a pagan guy asked him to. We don't know if he did. But here we realize that he has prayed. Can I say though, I'm gutted he left it as a last resort. Do you leave prayer to a last resort? Literally you're sinking in your finances. You do everything you can, but don't pray. Do you think your marriage is struggling and you're sinking? You do everything you can, but you don't pray. Do you think, I've got a health issue going on, I've seen the doctor, I'm trying to eat better, but you don't pray. This is a shameless plug. Wednesday. What could be better than gathering to pray? Honestly. I mean, surely we don't want to feel like we've got to sink so low that we don't come and pray. This is a biblical thing. It says in Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress, I called to the Lord. From his temple, he heard my voice. Psalm 118, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. You see, Jonah had got out of the habit of praying. I think he'd run from God. Life had got fast-paced. It was... I think that can be so often true for us. And yet, as soon as he starts to pray, I don't know if you've, you know, I'd love to have gone through this line by line, but I, I'm just very aware that I'm running out of time already. In my distress, I called to the Lord. He answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And who answered? 
you. You see, prayer gets so personal so quickly, doesn't it? It's almost like he's sinking and he approaches Almighty God. And so quickly, so I talked about the Lord, and then he says, you. You see, when we pray, there's something about intimacy with God. Jesus said to us, when you pray, say, Father. And that's the thing I think we can learn from here. We're to be those that literally, you listen to my cry. I think this could be a sermon in itself. I, I, I'd be very careful here because I know we get you know, tarnished with these things, on, you know, manifestations. I know myself, and this is different for everyone. I know when I've been touched by God because I can't help but cry. I've mentioned many times I enjoy praying with Chris on a Wednesday morning. And uh, often we'll have a cup of tea and then we think, one of us, come on, let's get praying. We'll pray for an hour together. I can sometimes feel embarrassed because I'm sat in his lounge just sobbing. And he probably think, oh, golly, Pete, you're not a mess again. No, I just think I've encountered God. I think that's what prayer should be. I think it, it should be that kind of intimacy. I think it should be that kind of emotion. I don't think it's just a factual thing. I would say if you're a part of this church, I'd love us to get to the point where we cry for one another in prayer. Not just, oh, God bless them, but actually I, my heart breaks for them. I'd love us to get to that point where actually we cry for this bar. Not just, oh, well, golly, you know, um, no, but actually, there's just a crying in our hearts. Oh, God, we'd long for you to touch this place. This is not meant to be something detached. It's something that's right in the heart. So I, I, I've quickly gone through. I said that actually he sank, he speaks. But this is the, the great thing. And it, it's not British gas. You know, It's not like if you can call on someone, maybe you can get the A team, the gas team. Actually, the one who saves is God. It says quite clearly, doesn't it? The Lord was... I mean, I find this amazing, don't you? It says, To the roots of the mountain I sank, the lowest he could possibly go. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. I mean, can you imagine this? He has decided to run away from God. He's disobedient. He's like, does his own thing. He's selfish. He's arrogant. He's hard-hearted. He's callous. He's gone as low as he can go. And who does he find when he gets there? God. It's just this amazing picture, isn't it? Actually, God, you're there. He even uses this phrase, doesn't he, you know, about um, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Some people have said, who's he writing about? Is it the sailors? I mean, they worshipped other gods, but actually they did repent and come to know the true God. Is it the Ninevites? I mean, they worshipped a false god, but actually they repented. Or is it even himself? Suddenly, golly, how foolish I've been. Do you know what I find tragic? Chapter 1 ends with people making a vow and worshipping God. Chapter 2 ends with people making a vow and worshipping God. Chapter 1 is the godless sailors. They're a whole head, a chapter ahead of the prophet, the man of God. Why is it taking him a chapter longer than the others to come to his senses? To come to realize that it's God who saves. I tell you what this says to me. Our God delivers. There is grace for you. 
We don't have to cling to our own agenda or ability. We can throw ourselves upon him. It says, doesn't it, you listened to my cry. You answered me. You Salvation, he ends up saying. It's like, the, what I've found, I make it. Salvation comes from the Lord. He is confident in God. I want to say this. God answers when we cry out in spite of our guilt. We don't have to be right when we come to him. In spite of his judgment, even when we feel the circumstances are impossible, at exactly the right time, he answers not to make us comfortable, but because he's shaping us, because he wants to see our loyalty, and because he wants to make us more merciful like him. But our God saves. Our God saves. Oh, God, you think God saves? My God's delivered me. I mean, isn't that what I'm, that's what my arm's about? I don't know. I don't know what you're battling with at the moment. Some of you I do, but I do know this. This is what the Bible teaches. God saves. God delivers. We can have so many questions about this. I still have questions. I mean, I'll be honest. I haven't got the answers, but I'd just like to throw them out. I guess that's getting us ready for Alpha, really, isn't it? What I find fascinating is this. Who does God speak to? I mean, it's there in verse 10. The Lord commanded the fish. I don't know if he was so fed up with Joan. He thought, I'm not talking to you because you don't listen anyway. I mean, it says, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Joan out. You can imagine the fish going, golly, he's giving me bellyache, this guy, for three days. Thank you, Lord, and get rid of him. <laughs> I mean, I don't fully understand quite why it says, it's often considered even vomit was a term of judgment from the Old Testament. It wasn't that he coughed him out. <laughs> oh, there's a Jonah, you know what I'm saying? No, actually, that was often a sign the land will vomit you out. It was a sign of judgment from God. I don't fully understand all of this, but what I do know is God graciously delivered. You do not have to be perfect because it's not about you, but God graciously delivers. And so often we can think, oh, well, if I do well enough, you know, if, if I served in the band, if I was to sing something to the preschoolers out there while Pete's speaking, you know what I'm saying? We've all heard it. It's much more interesting than what's going on here. You know, but if, we, if we're aware of that kind of stuff, we think, oh, maybe then God would answer my prayer and he'd look on me favorably. No, it's not to do with me. It's to do with his grace. I think this is what this is about. I just want to finish again, though, by saying this. I believe that Jonah is a sign I know that I'm on good ground when I say this because Jesus himself said it. If you uh, looked in your Bible in Matthew 20, verse 38 to 40, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want a sign from you. He answered, that's Jesus, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, I believe that this whole chapter is a sign of resurrection. You see, Jonah was as good as dead. Three days, three nights, the bars of the earth, he was not expected to live. But as an Israelite, he comes back to life and then goes on to warn Nineveh of their sin. I believe that Jesus is the greater Jonah. He came and lived willingly for us. 
He died not as an accident. He said, hey, I just want you to know I lay down my life for you. He literally died and literally rose again to then bring that hope. So I think actually what I could take away from this is not just, oh golly, I'm sinking. Oh, but if I say something to God, he might save me. What I could take away from this is actually there is hope of resurrection. That's, that's a huge thing, isn't it? The hope of resurrection. Paul writes to the church in 2 Corinthians 4, Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Life can feel a struggle. I mean, there's so many wonderful pictures in here, aren't there? I don't know, maybe it's me. When I was a kid, I've got two brothers. You go to the beach. I mean, you know, obviously, we only ever went to the beach in England. It's shivering cold day. You don't really want to get in there. And then suddenly you turn around and something hits you on the head. It's, just, it's my brother that's thrown a clump of seaweed at me, you know, and it's sort of like that. And you get out and you go, Mum, I don't like to touch seaweed. I mean, there's this whole picture of seaweed-covered head. and Or actually, do we believe that there's hope and there's resurrection? Do we believe that life has just got to us, got us down? I believe that we don't need to feel like we're sinking. Because actually, he rose and we will rise. Not every wrong will be righted on this earth. But there is a day. When he will wrong, every wrong will be righted. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? So I don't look at this and think, oh, wow, God got Jonah out. Maybe if I'm good, he'll get me out. Actually, I look at this and think, this is a picture of resurrection, and I've got such hope because the grave is empty. As Christians, we don't gather at a tomb, do we? It's not like we say, oh, this is where the bones of Jesus are. It's empty. There's nowhere to go. That, to me, is the great news of this chapter. Life can feel tough. We can feel like we're sinking. There is hope because of the resurrection. And that's why today we're going to be ending our service by breaking bread together, which I know Edward's going to lead us in. This is a sign. Actually, he's risen. Hallelujah. Let's praise him.